Hey everybody, welcome to episode two of the Not A Real Veteran podcast brought to you by the Not A Real Podcast Network. And before we bring our co-host Braxton Voorhees on, we're going to introduce you to our official sponsor of the Not A Real Podcast Network, the Royal Green, Mr. Jack Casey. So give me just a moment while I bring up his beautiful website. Please take a look. Go to theroyalgreen.com. You need these books. He has them on Kindle and paperback. Please read them, especially if you're a fantasy lover. He is a really thoughtful person. If you haven't listened to him on Clubhouse or got to talk to him, he's extremely articulate, has really good ideas, and I'm sure his book is incredible. I haven't read it yet. I hope you guys buy it so that way he can afford to do an audiobook, so that way I can listen to it. So please help me out, help yourselves out, help Jack Casey out, buy the Royal Green, and read it. And without further ado, my co-host, Mr. Braxton Voorhees. Welcome, brother. Hey. We might have some technical difficulties today. We're going to do our best to get through them. But if we have to uh, kick Braxton off at some point, bring him back on, that might be part of it. Just bear with us here. But uh, we talked last week, if you guys didn't hear, we want to focus on the UCMJ today. That's the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And problems that we see with it, and what we think some libertarian solutions are. And I don't think most civilians really know what the UCMJ is, to be completely honest with you. Um, But Braxton, tell us a little bit about it, how you got introduced to the UCMJ. Well, the way I first got introduced to the UCMJ was in Texas, which again for the other military people in force vernacular. A school, AIT, MOS school. It's your training for your job. So I'm at the Security Forces Academy, and we're going over the punitive articles. And that's what all the military members know is the punitive articles, because all of the other articles are just uh, how how it's applied. It's the like kind of fine print, weird stuff. The punitive articles are the actual charges that can be levied against. Learning about uh, in our instruction. Well, uh, for in tech school, we would normally form about 30 in the morning, I think. Instructors tell us one day after class, you know, we're going to do something special for PT, go home, hydrate. We're going to get together uh, like an hour and a half early. When you wake up, drink a canteen, refill it, and then form up for PT, you know, an hour early. So we do all that. And then uh, we're out there all for maybe like two hours. And it reminds me of uh, college, or at least the memes. I see on college where it's like, hey, if the professor doesn't show up, you know, in a few minutes, we're legally allowed to leave, right? Kind of what we're thinking. We're kind of wondering what's going to happen. Well, half hours in, maybe um, some buses pull up. The doors open. Instructors jump off. Hey, everybody get in. So we're going. And I can't remember exactly what time I figured it out, but they were transporting us to the urinalysis facility. And uh, this particular urinalysis was very special because it was our tech school instructors that were administering it. They weren't just taking us there. They were the one administering their analysis. So, you know, I was halfway ready, not fully confident. Um, I was not the undisputed world piss test champion at this time, but, you know, I think (laughs) one or two people had gone before me and the sergeant was kind of like, you know, someone's got to go. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll give it a try. 
So I go back there, I whip it out, and uh, for anyone that is not in the military, uh, there's kind of a distinct difference because they make it a point to verify that you are actually providing the same. So, you know, they're, they're really looking to make sure that they're getting the real deal. So I'm standing there, I'm trying. It's not quite coming out, and he's kind of telling me, come on, man, I can see, like, 50 more of these before we can go home, all right? And he's like, man, look at that piece of paper above the urinal. Read it to me, okay? Be advised, failure to provide your analysis sample uh, will result in uh, violation of Article 92 of the UCMJ. And he was like, hey, this is what we're going over right now. What is Article 92 of the UCMJ? So while he's watching me give this uh, your analysis sample, he's also quizzing me on stuff that we're learning about. And I don't know the answer, but uh, it kind of distracted me long enough to do what I needed to do. So a little bit of a motivation to study because it's like you never know when you're going to get caught literally with your pants down. Uh, but that's, <laughs> you know, I can't help but think of that anytime I think of the UCMJ. That was my introduction. So I'm glad getting quizzed on punitive article 92. You better fill that cup up. Yeah, I feel like that would actually contribute to my nervousness. It's already kind of weird when somebody's watching you, but I don't think that that would help me when somebody's also quizzing me. But uh, good on you. So that was your first introduction to the UCMJ. That was it. And also, it's kind of a tangent, but you know, now I practice for your analysis. Uh, like I said, the world unmuted champ on it. Um, anytime I think about it, if I'm in a strange bat that I'm peeing into a cup, that way I can do it on command. A few weeks ago, I had to take a dress for work, and I'm pretty sure I set a record time for them. And uh, I don't know. Tool in the toolbox, I guess. Well, good on you, Braxton Voorhees. Ladies and gentlemen, you're an analysis champion of the world. And if you guys don't know what that is, obviously that's a drug test. Um, so the UCMJ, for those who don't know, it's the Uniform Code of Military Justice. The military has its complete own justice system. It has its own set of laws. Article 92, which Braxton just mentioned, is a very vague one that basically means that you are only, basically it's any disobeying any order. Am I right? You with me, brother? Article 92, isn't that just, it's hey, just man, a punishment really for disobeying me over and over. All right, hold on, brother. I'm going to kick you out and bring you back in. Sorry, guys. We might have a little technical difficulty while we uh, bring Braxton in. He's kind of out in Podunk, Oklahoma for now. Let's try it again. But anyway, well, we're figuring that out, guys. That's what the UCMJ is. And yeah, Article 92 is actually something. You can get punishment for disobeying any order from an officer, any lawful order, they say. Just pretty much anything that's not specifically outlawed. Um, so that's what's unique about the military. There is a lot of power to make people do what you want them to do. And we're going to get into a lot more detail about how that's being brought out today. Um, but there's also a lot more issues about the UCMJ that I think we have a problem with. I definitely have a problem with. 
Um, can you hear me, bro? Yeah, I think I fixed the problem. I'm sorry about that. Okay, cool. No worries at all. So I don't know how you feel about this, but something that I think is really interesting about, oh, hold on. They're telling me we're not streaming to YouTube. Oh. Who cares about YouTube? Okay, good. We're on YouTube now. We're rock and roll. So one thing that I specifically hate about the UCMJ is the officer enlisted divide. And we could definitely do an entire episode over what that means. Um, But a few things come to mind. And Braxton, you can give me your opinion on this. But one, officers cannot be special court-martialed. And for people who don't know what a court-martial is, that's a military trial. Um, But a special one or a summary court-martial, as they also call a certain kind, is basically like the lower level. Um, so officers can't do that. They can only be general court-martialed, which means they can only be punished for very severe things. And that essentially means that for smaller things, they're a lot more likely to get slaps on the wrist, when enlisted people would be a lot more likely to go to jail for smaller things, a lot more likely to be discharged for smaller things. Um, that doesn't affect officers the same way. So I think that's a problem. Have you ever thought about that, Braxton? Uh, dude, obviously, and uh, you're very right. The difference between officers and enlisted will be its own episode, its own very long episode. Um, something that might tie into that, and I'm not sure, but when I was researching this, I found out that used to, for enlisted, a court-martial was presided over only by officers. But uh, that was changed to be a little bit more fair, where now you have the option between having, um, you know, your peers, the enlisted or the officers that kind of preside over it. And uh, but, you know, I was always told never ask for uh, the enlisted to do it because the sentences are always much harsher. Uh, They kind of eat their own. You still prefer an officer one. But maybe that's kind of part of the reason, because the officers, they're such uh, so high up kind of on Mount Olympus, you know, they're their peers are the ones that are going to be reprimanding them anyways. So the court martial is kind of a unnecessary formality, maybe. And I didn't read that. That's just kind of my thoughts on it. Huh? Okay. So that's a really interesting argument. So the way it actually works, just so you're aware and everybody in the audience is aware, if an enlisted person is getting tried in their general court martial or a special court martial, they can request to have up to one third of the jury be enlisted. But at all times, no matter what, at least two-thirds of the jury will always be officer. Um, But that's an interesting argument. It's kind of like crabs in a barrel who won't let each other get out of the barrel. That enlisted would be more likely to eat their own. Um, I don't know data on that, but I could definitely see the argument because enlisted personnel in the military can be pretty damn harsh on each other. We tend to be very unapologetic and uncompromising when it comes to rule breakers. Um, I've been on both sides of that. So I know what it's like. Have you seen that? Or what was the culture like in your squadrons when you saw that kind of thing? Well, dude, it's a little bit different for me uh, being security forces 
because that's old and true at it is that security forces eat their own. Uh, that is just blisteringly true. Uh, and that that's your peers that you work with and also your command. But I mean, it's a, and again, the air force in general, you know, they say it's a one strike air force or a one mistake air force. That's true, but security forces more so, um, for sure. And I mean, we could go into that. I could talk a lot, but, um, you know, something else that's really interesting that contributes to that is our tech school. They're very good at turning people into blue Falcons and everybody, uh, that served in the military knows what that is, but you've got uh, they it. You've literally got to tell do that. everybody. Can or can't talk about you. But, uh, no, you're absolutely right. But, but what's a blue Falcon? So everybody knows. Um, well, I don't who's what. No, don't say it. We don't want to get we don't want to get adulterated on YouTube. Watching this, can I say? No, don't make it make it appropriate as you can. Oh, well, it's uh, it's um, man, you try. I I can't think of anything clever. (laughs) It's not that bad. A blue falcon is somebody who sucks up and is always looking to screw over other personnel, uh, their peers, um, who cares a lot more about the rules than their comrades. I shouldn't use that word because this is a libertarian podcast, not a communist one. Than their um, brothers and sisters in arms, we'll say. Um, It is basically the goody-goody two-shoes um, but the one, not just the class, you know, not just teacher's pet, but the one who wants to screw everybody else over. So that's what a blue Falcon is. And it's an acronym for something else, BF. So I'll let you guys use your imagination and try to guess what that stands for. But that's what a blue Falcon is in military slang. Yeah. Use your imagination. It's buddy fucker. That would be what it is. And now we're going to be, oh, here we go. We'll just let Roy Martin say it so we don't have to. Appreciate you, Roy. Thanks for taking the bullet for us. Hopefully that doesn't put us on the adult side of YouTube, but hopefully they don't notice at all. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. You could have just said ass kisser. Eh, mm, that's not exactly the same, though. Blue Falcon is somebody who tries to screw other airmen, other soldiers over. It's not just somebody who kisses ass. I kissed ass. I didn't try to screw people, though. It's different. But... Little tiptoe bitches dancing around it. Interesting. Thank you for that, Nick. We appreciate that. So what other problems do you see? We talk about the officer enlisted divide. What other things do you see wrong with the UCMJ? So there's two things that jump out to me. And number one, when I was looking up, and I wasn't even trying to get too philosophical. I just wanted, you know, the definitions. I was, you know, what is the purpose of law? And uh, I wrote it down on my phone, but obviously I can't use my phone right now to look it up. But uh, overall, I don't think the UCMJ itself is that flawed. It's how it's applied. And, and people use that like it's a freaking mace or uh, Lucille, Negan's bat on The Walking Dead. People do, uh, by people I mean the military, they, they wield it with deadly effect. But I think applied is where it's really messed up. Um, just an example, in the military and you're getting your rights, uh, your rights advisement, your rights read to you, if you're suspected of committing a crime, um, 
You get it according to Article 31 of the UCMJ. That's your rights advisement. If it's a civilian, it's obviously the Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Um, but the UCMJ provided the Article 31 15 years before um, the citizens of the United States had Miranda rights. So uh, 15 years before the civilian populace, the, it was required by the UCMJ that service members are read their rights when they're suspected of committing a crime. So the UCMJ is not that bad. It's how it's applied. Um, and I'm looking at you, OSI. See the world. So elaborate on that. That's fascinating. I never knew that that the UCMJ had Miranda rights before we had Miranda rights as civilians. But but t- how do you feel like it's applied incorrectly? Yeah. Well, for example, you know, like like you already talked about. When you're explaining Article 92, that's kind of a catch-all argument. If you're charged with anything, Article 92 is going to be on there. So it's like if you're suspected of stealing, you're getting charged for stealing, but you're also getting charged for breaking the rules. Like a catch-all article just to add another charge just to your sentence worse. And that's not the only one. Um, also, anytime you get charged with anything, Article 134 is going to be on there, which is just a general article. So, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how specific of an infraction you're suspected of committing. You're going to get a handful of charges. Mm. That's interesting, which you'd think would be like double, double jeopardy or something like that. You'd think they wouldn't be able to do that, but they absolutely do. You're right. So that's, that's a really big issue as far as it's applied. And Article 92 essentially just gives the military power to tell its, its members to do whatever it wants. That's pretty much what it is. It's basically a blank check to say, whatever I tell you yeah. to do is rule of law and you have to follow it or go to jail unless it's specifically written somewhere else that I can't tell you to do that. There's a lot of gray area between what's not allowed to be ordered and what people can think of creatively. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's Article 91 that is kind of specifically um, disrespect to a commissioned officer or non-commissioned officer. So just depending on uh, how bad your leadership is screwed, they can put that in at any time. And the Article 30, 134 that I mentioned, it's really interesting, too, because it's like a catch-all article. Instead of amending the UCMJ and adding new articles, they just kind of put it in there as like subtext, so not very officially. But something that's really weird about it, some of the things that are listed, um, I know that like having an extramarital affair uh, is punishable by Article 134. And a lot of people think that's kind of strange anyways, that you can be, uh, you know, legally liable for doing something like that. But, you know, something like that, I think uh, abuse of your spouse is also in 134. But uh, so is like possessing child pornography. So that's a little bit disappointing because it's like this obviously they take that issue is that it can be lumped in with literally anything else it doesn't have its own uh, specific article but things like uh you know eating your spouse or even just just cheating on with uh geography article 134 so for some reason i thought like adultery and that kind of thing actually had its own specific article you're telling me that's just subtext on a general article Yes, that's what how does that work? Like, 
where where do they write what all things fall under it? Uh, you cut out, but I didn't hear that. How how where do they write what all is included in Article One Thirty Four? Is it in the body of the actual article, or is it just something that they can kind of add to as they please? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I could only guess, and really I can't even do that. Um, when I was refreshing uh, my knowledge on this, I was doing so off Wikipedia, so it was kind of like bullet points. Uh, I didn't really, really delve into it, but uh, that's a good question, good point. Huh. Okay. So that's some problems with the UCMJ. So one, if you're enlisted, and really – there shouldn't be an officer enlisted divide in the courtroom, in my opinion. Whether you get one-third enlisted or all officers, it should just be a mix of the two. There's no reason why it should be divided by that. The jury should just be a jury of your peers. Um, but clearly, the application of the UCMJ is really broad. The military has a lot of leeway and a lot of power to pretty much enforce it and apply it however they want. Um, and we've got a couple examples of that. So let me pull some stuff up that's happening in the news this week in the military world. So here's a good example of how Article 92 is used. So National Guard troops in California now will be required to get vaccinated or face regular testing. So they're being given a choice to either get the vaccine or be tested. I don't know. I can't find the data, but on a regular basis. And if they were to refuse one of those things, they would be charged under article 92, which would be disobeying a direct order, which means they could get court-martialed. They could even go to jail. They could get discharged. It could be the end of their career for disobeying something that simple. What do you think Braxton? Do you think that national guard, the military has a right to mandate vaccines? I really don't know just because from a legal standpoint, um, man, I, I don't know how fully binding the contract you signed is the way I interpret it when I was enlisted. And, uh, that's how I interpreted it. And that makes it easier. Um, from an actual legal standpoint, I really couldn't say where they're rights in, uh, their ability to infringe on your rights because you still do have some rights. Um, you have the right to remain silent. Um, you have the right to an attorney, a civilian one, a military one. You can represent yourself. Um, for certain issues, you know, they have to first ask consent to search your property. And if you don't give them consent, then they can get authorization. But that's the same as civilian. So that might be another example of, you know, maybe the way it's written isn't uh, doesn't have the service member uh, um, by the balls so bad, so to speak. It's just how they apply it. It's just what are you going to do about it? And that really gets into the, the core of what military contracts mean altogether. You know, do they own you? And can, can you really sign that much of your life away? Um, you know, you couldn't. You couldn't write a contract and say, uh, I, I, Will Darty give Braxton Voorhees sole dominion over my life. 
um, it, that wouldn't hold up in court. Clearly, I could get like a power of attorney. I could get like an advanced directive and things like that and put you in charge of a lot of decisions in my life. Um, but I can't just give you that much power. Um, but nobody really challenges those contracts in court. So what do you think? How much validity is there, you know, from a, from a moral standpoint to those contracts? I mean, from a moral standpoint, I'm going to say next to none, of course. Um, a famous example of kind of UCMJ abuse that I guess we didn't go over earlier, but every service member's heard of is um, you can get charged with destruction of government property for you yourself being injured. If you get a sunburn that prevents you from performing your duties, they can charge you with Article 108, which is destruction of government property. So, like I said, everyone in the military has heard of that, and that is absolutely true. Um, I mean, that for sure goes along with what we're saying. So, it seems like they own you. Yeah, that's absolutely true. By all, by all, you know, court decisions and everything that's existed so far, they absolutely do. Um, but to me, there's no validity in that, really. I don't think that any contract can actually sign that many rights away. Um, but, but it's a hard argument to make when you do sign it. So. Let's look at something else. I want to show you guys. Can you see that, Braxton? So the DOD, can you see my screen? Oh, here we go. Um, not yet. There we go. The DOD making masks mandatory yeah, again, even for the vaccinated in some places. So this is pretty insane. Um, again, if you violate this order, this is Article 92 territory as well. You could be court-martialed. You could go to jail. You could be discharged. It depends on you know how they want to apply that, but there's a lot of leeway to how severely they want to punish you for an Article 92 for disobeying a direct order. But the problem that I have with this is that data just came out very recently about the number of symptomatic and vaccinated cases that they're having. And they call them breakthrough cases. But since I believe this past March, out of all of the cases that they've had in the country, 0.098% of cases have happened in vaccinated people. So it's absolutely a slim, slim, slim minority of the actual COVID cases happening in the country right now. The vast majority of those cases are for unvaccinated people. So to me, making vaccinated people wear masks again has a lot more to do with the narrative than it has to do with the actual health. Huh? So Tom Ashlock says, get the vaccine. Did you ever get the anthrax vaccine? Yes. We got a lot of vaccines. We also got the peanut butter shot. We got every shot because we didn't have a choice, but I don't think that that's a good thing. I don't think that that's a good moral basis to argue for. What do you think, Brax? Do you think that the military should be able to force masks on people? Um, I mean, obviously, um, I'm a little bit confused because I heard uh, some numbers that were very different than what you were talking about. I heard out of all the COVID uh, morbidity cases, um, a very high number of them vaccinated. And... Uh, I heard that the uh, lowest demographic for people that were getting hospitalized and dying from COVID were the ones that, that 
had COVID and uh, had gotten over it. Those people seem to have the least amount of problems. People who had the vaccine, I wanted to say the numbers in the 40s, still found themselves back in the hospital with it. And then people who had not been vaccinated or not have contracted it before uh, were up there as well. But uh, I don't know. I wouldn't um, stick to that. Huh. Okay. I'm going to share this article just to look at it. But this is what I was quoting. It's from ABC, but it's from a study recently published. But approximately 153,000 out of 156 million. So there are 156 million fully vaccinated Americans and 153,000 symptomatic breakthrough cases, representing approximately 0.098% of fully vaccinated. So it's really small, um, but interesting. I didn't heard the morbidity case, so I'd like to look into that further. But it's pretty fascinating how the UCMJ is applied. I think we need to do even more digging into this. It's a really big issue that we need to tackle, and there's so many more things. We didn't even talk about, like, the outdated code. Um, there's a lot of things we didn't talk about, but we should dig into it. But I do want to get on to another really interesting issue that just came out that we shared on the Veteran Caucus today, which is about Mr. Daniel Hale, who is a whistleblower. Daniel Hale leaked documents back in 2013, 17 documents, and he was just sentenced to 45 months in prison. What's really wild about what he leaked is that they figured out that in this period between January 2012 and February 2013, there were airstrikes that killed more than 200 people. Of those 200 people killed by drone strikes, only 35 were the intended targets. So almost 90% of drone strike targets were innocent bystanders. Um, That's absolutely insane. And he got sentenced to 45 months in prison just for releasing that information. We would never even know that that was the case. We would continue trusting Uncle Sam. And honestly, if that's not reason to vote libertarian and give up on the establishment parties, I don't know what is. Your government kills people indiscriminately. But what do you think, brother? What do you think about, first of all, I mean, proportionality is obviously a really important principle of military combat and combat application, um, but also the prison sentence. So let's take let's talk first about the strategy. As far as proportionality goes, a 10% success rate, what's that mean? Oh, hey, you're muted, brother. Hey, you're, you're muted. <laughs> hey, Brax, you're muted. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm going to kick him out for a second and bring him back. Hopefully he notices that his mic's not on. Unmute yourself. Okay, you're good. Dude. You were muted. This is the worst. I sure am sorry. Can you hear me now? It's all good. Yeah, you're loud and clear. I can't hear you. Hmm. Well, Braxton's gone for now. Don't know where he's gone, but we'll carry on without him for a little while. So... Proportionality is a really important rule of military strategy. Um, 
there's actually a few other principles that apply to this situation. But what it means is basically whenever you're trying to target something, you have to be really careful not to do collateral damage. You don't want to hurt other people. You don't want to hurt the people around the target. Um, so to only be actually killing 10% of the targets and 90% of the people that you're hurting be bystanders is absolutely insane. Um, if other countries did that, we would probably charge them with war crimes. But the fact that the United States has done that and hit it for six years is absolutely unacceptable. Um, in my opinion, that's reason enough to be putting presidents in jail. I don't, I don't see how that can be even remotely justified. And you're back. What's up, brother? Can you hear me? Man, I'm sorry. Yeah, good, man. Um, this will be the last uh, episode that I I can tell you that. No worries at all, man. Man, I mean, the 90% uh, bystander fatality rate is just absolutely crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Um, and yeah, that's horrific. I mean, I can't even say enough about it. I really can't. I mean, it's just too much. But uh, what's way more disturbing is that they would uh, have this policy towards whistleblowers. Makes absolutely no sense. That's one of the most treasonous things I've ever heard of. Seriously. And let's actually, let's look at the uh, Edward Snowden tweet real quick. I'm going to get on Facebook. But Edward Snowden had some really good things to say about it. And it'll be a good thing to plug, and we can get the Veteran Caucus on here anyway. So, this is what Edward Snowden tweeted yesterday. Daniel Hale, one of the great American whistleblowers, was just moments ago sentenced to four years in prison. His crime was telling this truth. 90% of those killed by U.S. drones are bystanders, not the intended targets. He should have been given a medal absolutely right and we said heroes are in prison criminals are in office i think that about sums it up pretty well so what do you think man what's a better way do you think that all whistleblowers should be given a free pass how do you think that we can handle that better yeah of course and i'm pretty sure on uh that was something Obama ran on his first term is how he was going to be so open to blowers, how the transparent and innocuous. I mean, that was a huge uh, point of his. And actually, um, I heard on another podcast that they ended up taking that off of his official campaign website um, years after the fact. But of course, it was already archived, so it's too late. But man, that's that's literally them flagrantly, without even trying to hide it, saying that our image, the image of the government, is more important than keeping our citizens informed. And that's got to be just one of the most treasonous things I've ever heard. I mean, that's terrible. Absolutely. He did run on that. And, and the fact that if you didn't notice in that article, that all happened under Obama. That was his time period. Obama loved drones. And that indiscriminate murdering was definitely under his rule. As were a lot of the continuous wars and killings. Um, whenever I was in, I was in the Ramstein passenger terminal in 2014, and I was watching CNN. And Obama was on on CNN saying, "We will not put boots on the ground in Iraq." 
And I looked down at my computer and we were sending a 52 man CRG to Baghdad that exact day. And I think, I think he's kind of the pinnacle of a line politician, man, because he was such a good salesman. He was so good at, you know, putting himself out there being the hope and peace guy. But man, when you look at the actual numbers, when you see what he was doing, he was the best warmonger of all of them. Even Trump hasn't dropped as many bombs so far. So, or didn't at all. Um, and it had half the time, of course, but still Obama was, um, a hefty warlord. Well, you know, it's an interesting libertarian point um, because, you know, the status position, people celebrate, carry out these airstrikes, or whenever we do assassinate, even though that word's never used, high-ranking officials in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you you remember probably two years ago now that drone strike that killed that uh, general in Iran mm-hmm. uh, that started, you know, a big mess. And there was, uh, you know, a few other high profile killings took place. People celebrate that. And I can almost understand that if I'm being sympathetic and I'm trying not to think of it as a libertarian. But, man, what kind of got because I was that way at one point. But what got me to change my mind on that is how much personally willing to spend so that your country can be an international hitman uh, because drones are not cheap and neither are, there, are those missiles and smart bombs. You know, it cost us, you know, just trillions to this international hitman and uh, you know, nation that's $29 trillion in debt shouldn't celebrate that. Obviously. I mean, leaving yeah. the morals out of it. No, you're absolutely right. Um, it's hard to leave the morals out of it, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's wasteful. Um, from a very, you know, fiscal standpoint, from a from a structural standpoint, if you're trying to run an organization properly. And what do we gain from that? Like, what what did we gain from killing that general? Except that we definitely hurt our relations with Iran, which is probably one of the worst relationships we have in the entire world. Um, man, it makes me more and more red-pilled the more I run these things through my mind. There have to be ulterior motives here. I think there has to be actual reasons that these people are getting targeted. There's no way it's just it's just for military strategy. I don't buy it anymore. What do you think? I guarantee you that there's a direct correlation in the president's approval rating and when these things take place. Guarantee hmm. you. Hmm. Do you, do you think that it it was Trump who did that assassination? So do you think that it helped or hurt his approval rating? Um, I would say helped because obviously his fan base is going to love that, but war sells. Um, yeah, I, I'm, anytime that uh, any sort of military action is taken out uh, or carried out, the approval rating goes up. So, hmm. I'm going to have to look at that harder, but I'd say I would say it used to sell. I would say that they're really running out of air on that pitch for sure. I think that they've overused it way too far, and I think we're getting a lot smarter. Um, but anything else you want to say about that? I want to get to one more issue before we close up. No, that does it for me. All right. So this is pretty interesting too, guys. So this is on AP. The Justice Department will no longer seize reporters' records. So this goes back to the whistleblower issue, and I thought this was really interesting and tied in well. The Justice Department just decided this last month. But what's really fascinating about this 
is how irrelevant it is. And that's that's how I thought of it. It almost sounds like they're trying to show like, hey, we're really friendly with whistleblowers. You know, we're not going to seize reporters' records anymore. We don't care about the documents. Um, that sounds really nice, even though they just sent somebody to 45 months in prison. But I think the key there is that they don't need to seize the records anymore. Basically, our government has so much ability to look at electronic records and follow people's phone records on the internet, things like that. And they probably can trace the source of documents without ever having them just based on the information that reporters release. What do you think? Um, that's a weird one, but I feel like you're a hundred percent correct. I feel like they're doing that kind of the same thing to, to put on some sort of face but I think you're right. The reason behind it is they don't need it. So, Yeah, it's just a show. All right. Heck yeah, man. Well, anything else you got to say, brother? You got all your anger out Try of the again. government today? Today? <laughs> well, hopefully. Hopefully you're good. Well, all right. We'll go ahead and wrap things up then, guys. Um, Man, I'm going to make that. some plugs. Tomorrow night, 6 Central, 7 Eastern time, Not A Real Libertarian will be right here on Not A Real Libertarian as well as on YouTube. Um, please follow the Libertarian Party Veteran Caucus. Please go see Jack Casey buy his book, theroyalgreen.com. And that's all I got. Got any plugs? Um, I just wanted to add that yesterday's inaugural episode of the Not a Real uh, was pretty damn good. So, and Not a Real Libertarian is already full steam ahead. So, um, just good things to be aware of. Good time to be here. It's great. Don't be a blue falcon. Don't, <laughs> Don't be a blue falcon. Do not keep following us, guys. We'll get a lot of technical issues worked out and get a little better at presenting the podcast itself. But stay with us. Um, we will see you next week right here. We're going to have Joe Lewis. He is running for, as a Democrat in Oklahoma against Maury Turner. That's going to be incredible. He's a veteran himself. We can't wait to have him on the show. Our first guest. That'll be a lot of fun. So we will see you guys next week. And there is no such thing as a real libertarian. Bye. <laughs>